Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Today I interviewed Kimberly, partner at Adrian's Chart and Accountants. With family-owned businesses as their main clientele, they have an effective people strategy that other firms may want to follow. Kimberly shared with me how they treat all team members the same and have built five-year career plans with all team members. It has worked so well that one of their team members in the Philippines that they are now moving to Australia to live and work. Kimberly also implemented an EA after hearing about the concept at our roadshows. This is saving her three to four hours a week of her time. With continued plans of expansion on the horizon, Adrian's is gearing up for more improvements in terms of reporting and feedback. I'm Kimberly Middlemas from Adrian's and you're listening to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. So Kimberly, give us an overview of your team structure, your local, your offshore, number of team members and how long they've been with you. We now have a team of 37. Um, we've got 11 overseas. Uh, we have two that work in Queensland, but they work completely remotely. We have one in New South Wales who works um, remotely as well, and the rest are in the Brisbane office. So um, it's a real mix, but it, it's kind of good. Um, it's made us um, need to be a bit more flexible in the way we work. Um, but a lot of us, have, a lot of them have been with us a long time. So I think the average service period is at least seven years. We have a lot of provision for long service leave on our balance sheet. <laughs> That's not a not a bad thing in, in the days where accounting is extremely competitive to keep your, your senior staff for that long is a fantastic thing. Now, I know um, I came to your office um, when you first started with us a bit over 12 months ago and your office is, is different to the t- typical accountant, I must say. I found it really um, a great experience coming to your office and um, you're certainly building a great business. So, Kimberly, do you want to tell us a little bit about, I suppose, um, the accounting firm more. Do you have a niche that you work in or are you more of a generalist? Uh, We've always been a generalist. Um, The firm itself is uh, 70 years old um, and we've always had the same style of of business that we work with. So we work with family-owned businesses um, but no specific industry type. You could probably group a lot of them into either um, professional services or or manufacturing or bits like that but we don't hold ourselves out to be a complete specialist in a a segment. It's mainly looking after the family-owned businesses as a whole. Fantastic. So the story of setting up your offshore team, what were your motivations behind doing this? You've obviously been doing it for for over four years now. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about your motivation for setting up the offshore team? Uh, originally, you know, back in the day, we were we were struggling to find good talent um, locally, um, and also we were struggling that we'd bring people in and we would train them up, and then some of the mid tiers would come along and and um, <laughs> offer them a great deal. Apparently, um, so what we wanted to do was spread out the talent and have it in different areas or different um, locations, so that we're effectively minimising the risk um, and also. So we found that the recruitment process itself is 
you know, like anything time consuming. So having the offshoring team, it also assists us with that recruitment need and takes some of the time away from us. And of course, there's the costs involved as well. So we were looking for some cost savings. Excellent. Now, I know you've got a, a team with another provider as well. Um, you've obviously set up a team with us and over the last 12 months, it's grown to 10 people. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about, I suppose, the differences in in the providers that you have used and, and even some of the reasons around using two locations or two providers? Um, in some circumstances, we're really kind of looking for um, longevity and we're looking for a great team that wants to stick around for a, a long period of time. So uh, we found the other location, the talent was great, but um, they really want to use it as a springboard to be doing other things in the future, which is fine. You don't want to hold anyone back on their career. So by having the two locations, we were just kind of um, testing the waters to some degree um, and seeing uh, which area or which region um, was going to be the best for us in the future. Excellent. Now, you've got a real fascinating story where one of your team members, you're looking at moving to Australia. So he's a Filipino that's been working for you for four years. Do you want to just tell us a little bit more around the motivations to, I suppose, relocate him to Australia and, and even how that opportunity came up for him? Uh, yes, look, what we do is um, we actually sit down and work on an, a five-year plan um, with our staff. So we actually sit down and try and work out where they want to be and what they want to do. Um, and um, with Emin, he effectively said to us that he, he really wants to be working overseas. So um, we said to him, we said, well, look, you know, this is what we want you to achieve um, while you're working with us. But if you can achieve your goals there, we will actually look at bringing you out to Australia and working as an accountant here. So after the four years as team leader, um, you know, and he achievement of his goals, we've effectively started the process um, to bring him out on a visa of which he can be a permanent resident in Australia in the future. Fantastic. That's, I mean, that's a great news story. And one of the big things that we really talk to a lot of our clients around is, is setting those five-year plans for your team, particularly in the Philippines where most of our team members, I think 90% of them are millennials and they want to know what their future is. And if you can't provide that, that roadmap um, and it's not aligned to their career goals, then obviously it is going to be hard to keep them long term. So, look, that's a fantastic story and I'm sure um, he will be forever indebted and a loyal employee of Adrian's um, with you mapping out and helping him to do that. Well, one so of the important we... things, sorry, just before you move no, on, right. one of the important things there is that we always try and um, uh, make, doesn't matter where you are or what location you are, you're actually treated the same way. So um, whether you're an employee that's working in Brisbane or working remotely, uh, we want to make sure that everyone is treated equally. And that part of that five-year map and that career progression plan is something that every employee needs. It's, it's every, every team mem made member needs to know that they've got a future that they're looking forward to. Yeah, look, I couldn't agree more. We recently just finished our road show and it's, it was really interesting um, talking to existing clients and, and if they've even mapped out their local team's five-year 
um, people's strategy and, you know, where are they wanting to go? And a lot of the people, that, a lot of our clients that came to that, the feedback was they went back to their offices and it's one of the things they're looking to implement. It just surprised me that people don't. So, you know, well done on doing that with your, your global team, not just your local team. And and I suppose that's why, one of the reasons why I would say that you're keeping your, your senior staff for seven plus years, it's, you know, it's, it's not it's not hard to keep people if you just put the simple things in place. And I know that Adrian's does that really well. So Kimberly, tell me a little bit about how did you go setting up? How did you go around initially researching, finding a partner, the recruiting, the onboarding? What was the process and how long did it take um, to get this offshore team or global team for Adrian's up and running? Uh, when we were looking at setting up, um, we originally had an associate who gave us some details of a group, a tour group. So effectively, um, my business partner went over um, to the Philippines and into various locations. Um, and from there, he was able to meet um, the actual directors of the relevant businesses of the BPOs um, and actually see how they operate, see, you know, what systems they've got in place, um, you know, what the employees are doing, all those kind of things. So that was really important um, to have feet on the ground um, to know, you know, if you're going to place a team somewhere that you've got an expectation of, of the environment they're going to be in. But it also gave um, gave us examples of the various different methods because everyone has a slightly different version of, of pricing, of how they treat the employees, all of those. So it's really good to be able to compare them all at once. But realistically, from the tour and then coming back and then actually start a group. It was probably about a six-month lead time. Okay, fantastic. Now, for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give them to move as quickly as possible? What would be the, the three most critical things that you would spend your time on? Um, I, I still think it's really important that you visit the location so you know exactly where, you know, your, your team members are going to be. Um, I also think it's really important to have a really strong relationship with the, the senior team of the provider um, because the stronger the relationship you have there, um, you know, the, the more seamless it it, uh, it happens and, and the quicker it can happen. Um, and also probably just asking lots and lots of questions, um, you know, public holidays, leave, start times, things like that, you know. Um, ultimately, you want the workforce um, to all be working on very similar um, timelines um, rather than having different starting times and things like that. Fantastic. Now, if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value of your global team, what would it be? Look, I see the global team as being an essential part of our future story. Um, we've sat and mapped out uh, what our five-year strategic plan looks like. And to be able to achieve our goals, um, we're going to need a really strong team in multiple locations um, to get where we want to be. Excellent. Now, perceptions of offshoring, um, what we've all heard um, plenty of the negative ones. Now, what are the main things that you've heard and what surprised you the most with obviously being there now for over four years and the experience you've had? Uh, look, some of the common ones when you speak to other people is quality, bad quality. Um, now, quality is only 
in relation to how well you train. Um, you've got to remember that when you bring a team on board, um, generally they have very little Australian tax experience. So you've actually got to do a fair bit of training yourself. So when people say that the quality is bad, it really depends on how much you're putting into uh, making sure that they are getting the right training. Uh, one of the other ones is bad communication. Um, now, communication goes both ways, uh, but we've made sure that um, all of our team members, again, are included in all communications. So we have our 9 a.m. meeting every morning and the entire team um, comes in through um, through you know electronic means and we all we all stand and have our 9 a.m. meeting together, even the remote people as well. So. I think the important thing is constant and regular communication um, and our guys here in the office are chatting or talking through video, through Skype for business constantly, um, all day, every day to make sure that those lines of communication and any problems can be resolved really quickly. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Now the year ahead, what is the plan for your offshore team? Um, how do you plan to keep growing your team, their capability, um, capacity and their performance? Uh, so we do regular reporting um, and as I said, we've got our strategic plan on where we want to go. So we've got some serious growth that we want to achieve in the next couple of years. So our team will expand um, but we need to make sure that we're giving them appropriate feedback. So they get um, a monthly report and on that monthly report, it actually uh, has their KPIs to say how well they're doing. Um, what we're also setting up is what we call a skills matrix. Um, so inevitably, when we've trained them on either a software or an activity, we can actually rate how well they're doing that activity. And then when they get to a really high standard, we bring in new activities and train them on that. So they can actually see how well they're progressing at the same time. But it also gives us an indication of um, if you've got a certain job, who's going to be the best candidate for that job, depending on their skill set. Great advice, certainly great advice. Now, Kimberly, recommendations for listeners. What are the, some of the top things that you would recommend um, our listeners do in managing an offshore team? Uh, probably over our four years, um, we've gotten better at what we do. Um, you know, initially we probably did things not exactly the right way, but um, what we have done is put a lot more internal processes around um, the way we operate and we've actually created a systemized training platform. So rather than the training being hands-on or, or live all the time, um, we've got a set of recordings um, and the people can go through those recordings and get trained on various elements as they need it. Um, that has saved us a truckload of time. Um, you still need to have some hands-on training, um, but having all of a lot of those basics, um, you know, software training and things like that being able to be done through a video format um, is, is a, a fabulous thing. Uh, some of the other ones is obviously coming back to that communication piece. Um, you really have to communicate regularly. Um, um, I don't know, Nick, what you think, but generally um, the the team over there is very quiet. <laughs> 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 they won't yeah, that's contact a you. Nature. 
that uh, you have to contact them. So, uh, you know, we really, really encourage them to uh, ring us and ask questions or chat to us and not just sit there and wait for us to contact them. But we try and be proactive to make sure that that line of communication is open. But you have to reinforce constantly that if there is questions, they need to contact you and just not sit and, you know, hopefully process it and, and hopefully get it right. Great advice. Now, just want to ask a, a further question to your training platform. Is that a, an actual structured platform that you use or is it just um, kept within box or where, whereabouts is that? How's that work? Uh, we've created our own. Um, it's a Microsoft product um, called Mix, um, and effectively, you can. It's it's fabulous because you can actually put in. We put in videos. Um, you can also put in text, and you and we've actually put a small test at the end of ours, <laughs> so that you can actually. You, they actually have to do the video and the training, and then the, you they have to answer a couple of questions to make sure they understood it. Excellent, excellent. Now, a lot of firms struggle with um, my next question, but what KPIs do you measure for the success of your offshore team? Uh, WIP inputs is obviously an important one, which is just another way of saying productivity. Um, so everyone's got a budget of WIP inputs that they have to achieve, and we track that on a monthly and a year-to-date so that they know how they're going. Um, is that very – sorry to – bump in there. Does that vary amongst your Australian WIP outputs versus your um, global team? Do you expect the same outputs or are you expecting more from your local or offshore team? Um, it depends on what they're doing So, and it depends what level. So obviously, you know, manager level, they've got more administration duties and things like that. So the, the WIP imports is um, a lower percentage but a higher rate. Um, but generally, we have the same expectation of a grad here as we would of a grad level offshore as well. Yeah, fantastic. And the other KPIs you use to measure? Uh, turnaround times, so when they start a job, how quickly they get through and then finish it off. So because the longer the job is in the office, the more efficient it can become. So we, we really want to try and, and make sure that the jobs are being pushed through as efficiently as possible. Um, and lastly, is as I said before, the skills matrix to see how people are progressing on certain activities. Um, and if they're needing help on one area, then we retrain on that area to see if we can push them through um, before they get introduced to new skills. Excellent. Now, how has offshoring benefited your clients? Um, from our perspective, it actually allows us to spend more time with the clients um, and be able to do more work on what we regard as the value-added um, stuff. When, you, when you're talking to a, a, a business operator, you know, generally the tax return um, and the financials means a certain amount, but you can actually do a lot more with them if you have more time available. So rather than spending your whole budget on the compliance piece, if you have a additional time within that budget to actually do some more strategic advice, then that's really where they're going to see the value. Um, signing off a tax return to most people actually is just um, something that they have to do, but um, not something that they actually see is going to be progressing their business. Love it, love it. Great advice. Now, how has offshoring contributed to giving you more time personally? Has it given you more work-life balance? Uh, 
Yes, <laughs> probably specifically because recently, well not recently, in the, in the last number of months, um, we put on a executive assistant. Um, so I've now got a full-time EA that um, I work with and it. It, it has been fabulous. So, um, which was on your advice. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um, I, went to, I remember going to one of your road shows um, and you mentioned it at the road show and uh, it was probably the biggest takeaway that I had. Um, and I actually went back, being an accountant that I am, and calculated over a couple of weeks how much time I actually spend booking appointments. And I realised that it can be up to three and a half to four hours a week just on the phone booking appointments or rebooking appointments. And I kind of went, wow. that's nuts. So now my wonderful Peggy does that for me. <laughs> and, I have, and I have three and a half to four hours back of, of time in my week to do other things, which is fabulous. Yeah, that's huge. Now, has offshoring had an effect on your firm's average hourly rate or, and more specifically the profit to your firm? Um, look, the answer is probably yes. I won't go into detailed numbers. Yeah. Um, you've got to remember that that training process, you've got to really make an investment first up in the training process. But if you do the training properly, then you will see obviously the returns come through in regards to the increase in the rate. Um, but where I think a lot of people go wrong is they don't invest enough time up front in that training process and, um, and you know, don't push in regards to giving enough feedback back to people on how well they're doing. So uh, if you, unless you tell somebody that they're not making budget, then they don't know that they have to improve. So I think you've got to do that training first, but then that constant feedback to say, okay, you're nearly there, but you're not quite doing this on budget. And then you will see the growth and the, and the benefits from there. Yeah, great advice. Um, yeah, great advice. Couldn't say any more. One thing that we've noticed from a lot of these, um, I suppose, this question that we're asking in in the podcast is a lot of firms will not notice a huge difference. If anything, it might get slightly worse, particularly in the first 12 months. But as the years continue to, to, to go and the team grows, and obviously this does add to both the bottom line and your average hourly rate, um, but it's a journey. It's not a short-term um, fix where it's just going to happen overnight. No, anyone going in thinking they're going to get a massive return in six months, um, it's just not going to happen. Um, so um, you really, it is really an investment. So you've really got to think about it and plan it properly um, rather than just, you know, making a decision and, and uh, expecting these wonderful things to happen instantly. Agree. Now, next question. What bit of advice would you give your younger self from a business sense? I know you're only young still, but what, what, what advice would you give a younger version of Kimberly <laughs> um, from a business point of view? Um, from a business point of view, probably what I've learnt um, over the years is to ask more questions um, and even the pointy ones, um, but also ask them from multiple sources because everyone's going to give you a slightly different view. Um, and it's really interesting to get different perceptions of the exact same thing from, from multiple providers or multiple sources. Yeah, great advice. Now, one bit of advice you'd give your younger self from a personal um, side. <laughs> so, uh, 
if you think you've got patience um, when you're young, you, you probably don't. So um, um, I have to nag my nine-year-old son constantly every day. You know, you come home from work where things just happen and then you sit there and you've got to ask him five times to go put his school bag away. So I think the best thing that anyone can do from a personal perspective is have lots of patience with people. Um and not react, just kind of take it in, um, let it mellow, shall we say, um, before um, having an appropriate response. Love it, love it. I've got a nine and a seven-year-old and a soon-to-be um, third child, which is um, from my new partner who's eight. And I can tell you now you do need patience because they don't do anything that you tell them the first time. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, now, Kimberly, what is the biggest myth or objection you've heard about having an offshore team and is it true? Um, probably the other one that I hear around a lot of other accountants is their concern over privacy. Um, a lot of them say that, you know, if your data's going offshore, um, you know, how, you, how do you know it's going to be kept private? How do you know it's not going to leak? And given that we are trusted with really, really important information, um, it's imperative that we look after that um, for our clients. Now, it's really interesting because most um, data breaches generally happen locally rather than internationally. And it's usually somebody, you know, um, obviously not internally at Adrian's, but someone going to an internet cafe or someone doing something silly or leaving a device lying around or, you know, leaving a computer without locking it. Um, from our perspective, the security um, from our offshore providers is actually brilliant. Um, but you need to have the right tech people um, to help you with that um, and you need to make sure that you're doing the appropriate login systems so that the data and the software, because we're using so much cloud software, they can't be accessed from any other sources except where they're working from. Um, and that and that enforces that no data can actually leave the office um, environment. Great advice. It's that's a big one that we we commonly hear, and it, it is. It's a it's a great myth, and we commonly say to people, look, our the offices in the global environment, being in the Philippines, are often a lot more um, secure than the offices locally, um, particularly from a privacy point of view and, and the way that the IT is set up. Um, but yeah, great advice. Now, with, with someone, the new sorry, uh, with the new data breach rules coming in um, as well, with the new uh, reporting that's required, if you if you do have a breach, you know, it, I think it would be essential that everyone does internal checks. Um, we actually had our IT provider come in and do an audit on our entire systems to make sure, and there was a couple of tweaks we did to um, certain passwords and and logins and things like that. But you know. It's really, really highly recommended that anyone who's dealing particularly with cloud systems, but also just ordinary IT systems, um, does get that audit done. Yeah, it's great advice. I mean, the the wonderful um, cloud software vendors are promoting you can work from a beach and, and everything else. I mean, it is great technology that does enable that, but it also opens up so much more risk that firms just really don't pay attention to with being able to access a system anywhere, 24 hours a day, all staff that have access to that system can access it. Um, so there are some real risks involved if it's not set up properly. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's a great one, Kimberly. Now, for someone looking to grow their business um, their, or their team, what's the best piece of advice you've heard or implemented um, that you could pass on? 
Um, look, there's probably lots of things, but the one that is a massive standout for me was um, implementing that EA. Now, you know, a lot of people when they think EA, they think a local EA or someone that's in your office. But um, having a remote EA was is for me is brilliant. Um, um, Peggy just makes my world a great place, saves me heaps of time. She preempts what I need half the time, and she also nags me when I haven't done what I need to do. So, uh, so look, um, I have I find that I can work at a higher level now um, having that uh, remote EA in place. Great. I love it. I mean, I've, I've had Ethel overseas for me for over four and a half years, almost five years now, and it's it's changed my my day-to-day -day world um, and the time. And I mean, your example earlier was just fascinating with how many hours it just saves on doing that one task. Mm. So we're going to finish off with a quick five questions. Um, so what cloud software um, do you use? Uh, we use the obviously the full suite of Microsoft 365. Um, so that's obviously our base platform, um, and that's obviously cloud-based. Um, and then we use the full suite of Zero as well. So all the Zero practice management, Zero tax, um, and work papers. Excellent. What's your favourite app? <laughs> I uh, probably don't spend too much time on on my apps. I usually get home from work and I, I try not to get on too many uh, electronic devices, but uh, probably Google Maps. <laughs> um, it is a good when one. I'm, <laughs> when I'm running around, I, um, and uh, I usually go on and check how long I've got to get to a, a client's appointment um, so that I can work out how to get there the most efficiently. <laughs> Excellent. Peggy can be doing that for you prior. <laughs> Probably could. Yeah. Now, what is your must-read each week? Um, there's a couple of things. Um, um, obviously, the Fin Review. Um, I get on daily and, and just check what you know crazy government announcements are coming out, um, like uh, the latest from Bill Shorten, which nobody wants to know about. Um, and also, I, I get an email every day, which is called the Accountants Daily, um, which just gives you a little bit more insight on new releases, what's going on in the in the accounting industry as a whole, and with software providers, etc. So I find. And those two sources generally give me a good overview of, of the latest and greatest. Excellent. Now, your favourite social media channel? Uh, look, I, I use most of them. Um, I'm LinkedIn, Facebook, all the rest, but I, I quite enjoy Twitter. Um, I think once you can kind of get a group of people that you interact with on Twitter on a regular basis, it, it actually becomes quite a, a nice social um, interaction, but it also can give you um, fast information. So funny enough, half the news is reported on Twitter first before it is anywhere else. So um, I, I don't mind um, going on and just uh, having a look what's going on with the world in Twitter. Excellent. Your favourite KPI? Um, yeah, uh, probably NPS or Net Promoter Score. Um, I think it's my favourite because it encompasses everything. So for all the hard work that you do on all the other KPIs, um, then that kind of relates to what is reflected with the people that you work with. So if the people you're working with are prom uh, thinking that you're doing a good job, it's kind of a reflection of all those other KPIs put together. Yeah, I love it. That's one of my favourite too. Absolutely love it. Now, Kimberly, how can our listeners get in contact with you? What's your Twitter um, handle, your website address? 
Um, so it's Kimberly Middlemas with a dot in between um, for pretty much most of them. Um, and the website is um, adriansca.com.au. Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time today. No problem. Good talking with you. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SoundCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.